Yes, Lord. We yearn for that day when we will see you, Lord Jesus, coming on the clouds. And we will know time as we know it is over. Time for forgiveness is over. And you will come and reign over us, Lord Jesus. We will be with you forever. Lord, thank you that you give us that perspective in our lives. That it's not just about running our everyday lives and knowing that there's no end in sight and that when death comes, that's it. But Lord, you've given us such an eternal perspective. And Lord, you are going about making it happen. Lord, as we open your word this morning, May it not be the words of a man, but may be your spirit speaking through your word to our hearts. Give us soft hearts before your word. Give us clear understanding so that we will hear what you have to say and then go from this place and apply your word to you be the glory. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to our last look at the book of First Peter. That letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to believers who were starting to experience what it meant to carry the cost for their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers who were starting to be hounded for their faith, persecuted for their beliefs. And he seeks to write them this letter to encourage them to stand firm in their faith in Christ. Let's see what he has to say to us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading from verse 6 through to the end of the book. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion Forever and ever. Amen. And then he adds his P.S. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who was in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. Greetings. 
and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. I don't know about you, but not many of us still receive letters. We receive emails and all kinds of texts and tweets and all kinds of other things. But letters are becoming more scarce and more scarce. And I don't know if you've looked at a letter before and as you get, you, when you get the letter, you first kind of look, who wrote this to me? And then you look at the end, oh, there's a PS. And you kind of read that. And then you get stuck into the letter. I do that. Maybe it's just weird. I'm always thinking, PS, I've left you an inheritance. <laughs> Never, hasn't happened before. But the Apostle Peter, in this letter that we've been studying, ends the letter, and I want to start right at the end of the letter and then work backwards, and you'll see the logic as we go, th- go through. He ends it with a PS too, in verse 12. Go through with me. We looked at this when we started, the, first, the very first time we came to this letter. We saw that it was written by the pen of Silvanus, or Silas, as we better know him. A scribe to the Apostle Peter. And so, the Apostle says here, I'm, I'm writing this letter through Silvanus, our, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. And he must have been with the Apostle Peter right through all this time. And then there's only the Apostle Peter can write, because Paul wouldn't be able to write this with truth. I've written to you briefly, and he has, it's only a few chapters. I've written to you briefly, and what have I done? Exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. What has the Apostle Peter done? He's exhorted us. He's encouraged us through this letter, hasn't he? I've had a lot of encouragement from this letter. And he's also been testifying. He's been showing us what is the doctrine that sits underneath these exhortations. This is the true grace of God. And then he says, stand firm in it. Stand firm in what I've described to you. And I'm going to come back to that a little later. And then the last bit of the PS. She who is in Babylon. Now, no, this is no secret code for anyone. Okay? All he's saying here is, this is the church which is in Rome. We send you, they send you their greeting as well. They had to be a little bit circumspect sometimes about what they wrote. But also... Rome was seen as the center of opposition and aggression towards the gospel. And so they give it this name, Babylon, which in the Old Testament had that title. The center of opposition and oppression. So the church in Rome greets you together with Mark, my faithful son. You see, the, the, the disciple Mark the one who wrote the the Gospel of Mark, he's also been with the Apostle Peter and he's been helping him faithfully. And so he sends his greeting as well. And then he comes to this bit you were all getting worried about. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Right? No, I'm not saying do that anymore. It was a New Testament greeting. It was an Eastern greeting. They still do it today. And it was very cultural. 
to the Jewish tradition as well. We've got the holy hug today. And we were going to demonstrate for you, but I'm not. But all he's saying there is, show each other genuine affection as believers when you get together. We need to be more open about our affection for each other as believers. A genuine, holy affection for each other. And then he says, peace be to you all who are in Christ. And we'll get back to that line. So that's his PS. But how has the Apostle encouraged and taught us through this letter? And we're going to do a little bit of revision this morning as we come to this last time we can look at this letter. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, you'd better get your finger in there and let's look at with me. Be good Bereans. Check what we are saying. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the, the Apostle reminded us that we are chosen. Be encouraged by this doctrine this morning and this teaching. We are chosen. We are chosen by God the Father's foreknowledge. Long before we were even in existence, God the Father already chose who He would have a relationship with. And I'm not going deeper into that this morning. We've done that. The Spirit gives us new life. The Spirit sanctifies you and I for daily obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the Trinity in action just in those verses? You see, we don't just happen to be Christians. The Trinity has been involved in our election, in our sanctification, in giving us new births, and making us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Trinity is involved. God is at work in us. It doesn't just happen. Then the Apostle reminded us in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, that we are pilgrims. We are to endure hardship just for a little while on this earth. And that our true inheritance and our true citizenship is in heaven. The passport we carry bears the seal and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to remind myself of that day by day because sometimes I start living my life and I forget the passport that I carry. Our true home is with our Father in heaven. This is not our home. I don't care what your house looks like and how comfortable you are, this is not your home. Don't settle down on this earth, says the Apostle. Travel lightly through this life. Don't get too encumbered by possessions and things. You know, I was really encouraged by the Birkins last weekend. For 31 years, they've been living in a forest among people. What has that man got to his name? He's got a house to his name. That's it. And a laptop. For 31 years, they've been serving God faithfully. His wife has been cooking over a fire, bringing up her whole family for that amount of time. And when you ask him, what are you going to do next? Oh, for the next 10 years, I'm going to stay there and I want to finish translating the scripture. Travel lightly through this life. We get so quickly bogged down with stuff. The apostle reminded us in chapter 1 verse 6 that we are tested and with this heavenly perspective of being chosen and being pilgrims through this earth, when we are tested, we know that we can rejoice, even though we go through trials and hardship. Why? Because God is at work in us. 
as I've said so many times before, when we're going through trials, His hand is on that thermostat and the heat that comes across your, your life. His eye is constantly on the clock. He knows how long He is putting you through, through that time. And when He has completed His work in you and I, we will be pure and we will be made to be like Christ. Did any of you understand that one? I didn't hear one Amen. Right, we're working on you Baptists. The apostles reminded us here that we are to be prepared in chapter 1 verse 13. How are we to be prepared? We are to be, have our minds ready for action, says the apostle. Our minds are to be alert for God's action and His directive in our lives. How do we prepare our minds? By filling our minds with His Word constantly. Spending time in His Word, memorizing His Word, thinking on it, dwelling on it, and trying to apply it in our lives. By being hungry for God's Word, chapter 2, verse 1, we are to long for the spiritual growth that the Holy Spirit will cause in us if we keep ourselves in His Word. And then the evidence of our growth will be seen in our daily obedience to God's Word. See, we are to get our minds ready for action. The Apostle reminded us that we are to be sober in spirit. We are to be aware that we are involved in a constant battle with personal sin. Chapter 2 verse 11. Our great enemy, Satan, the one who prowls around wanting to swallow us up. Chapter 5 verse 8. The one who roars so loudly at times in our lives. We need to remind ourselves that he is also under the direct control of the all-powerful God. But we are to be sober in mind, sober in spirit, because we have a task here. Our task is to stand firm and to resist Satan when that attack comes against us. We are to be firm in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death, the one who rendered Satan defeated. The Apostle reminded us too, that our hope is to be fixed on God's grace. Chapter 1, verse 13. That means that we are to be fully aware that without God's intervention and His ongoing work in us, we would be helpless. We would be hopeless and lost. If God took His hand off us, we would cease to exist. Our salvation and our sanctification, listen to me, our salvation and our sanctification is all of God. It is none of us. Our hope is to be fixed on the one into whom we are being built up as living stones. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. The one in whom, says chapter 2 verse 6, we will not be disappointed. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to do his work and you stay in his word, You will not be disappointed in Him. He will perfect you. He will make you like Himself. That's God's Word to us. The Apostle Apostle Peter here reminds us too, in chapter 2 verse 12, that we are to be obedient. You see, once we've been in the Word, once we've had God working in us, we are then to be obedient to that Word and that work in us. With our hope firmly fixed on God, with our hearts searching for direction in His Word, 
and with our hearts open to the illumination that only the Holy Spirit can bring and that conviction that only the Holy Spirit can bring and with our attitudes humbled under the almighty hand of God, we live our daily lives in obedience to the principles of God's word. That is what holy living is all about. Living in obedience to the principles of God's word. How do we do that? While we think through the filter of God's word. God's word teaches us how to think correctly. We make decisions by the principles spout out in God's word. We do not take shortcuts. We don't get pragmatic. We live by the principles of God's word. And then we act out our lives by the standards called for by God's word. And I know they are high standards. The apostles reminded us, these are standards which are impossible for us to attain without the help of the Holy Spirit, without God in us. Why do we live holy lives, said the apostle? There was a purpose to that. So that our lives will shout out God's glory. You see, in our interactions with earthly authorities, in our relationships with our families, chapter 3, husbands and wives and families, in our humble service of each other as believers, chapter 3, verse 8, we are to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ as our example. How did He live before us? He demonstrated selfless, humble, love-full obedience. And we are to do the same. He calls us to imitate Him. You see, our obedience requires all of us. Yes, God does His great work of us, in, in us, and salvation and sanctification is all of God, but obedience is all of us. God requires all of us. That means we've got to hand over all facets of our lives to Him. We can't leave any facet of our lives to ourselves, because it will be filled with sin. We've got to put Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. He is to be the goal. He is to be the purpose in our lives. And then we will live holy lives before Him. Tell me, as you sit here this morning, is Jesus Christ at the center of your life? Is He at the center of your life? Is everything you do, everything you want in life, the way you spend your money, the way you go about life, what you're studying to become, is Jesus Christ at the center of your life? If not, something else has taken His place. And the apostles reminded us that these truths that we've looked at now is the basis of our faith and it is the foundation for our obedience. And then we come to this glorious conclusion and now you can go to chapter 5. Verses 10 to 11. This is the glorious conclusion that he's been building up to. Rest assured in this truth this morning. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Here's the glorious, the glorious truth this morning. You will not suffer forever. 
And I know there are some of you going through extremely hard times that are here as part of this body this morning. You will not suffer forever. Suffering is only limited to this earth if you're a believer. When you leave this earth, suffering stops. You will never again experience suffering of any kind. For how long? For all eternity. This earthly existence is just a small speck of time in comparison with the eternal joy you will experience with your Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. So take courage this morning. Whatever is happening in your life, take courage. It is just a little while and then it's over. However, if you're an unbeliever here today, and I don't know all of you, so there might be some unbelievers here today, be afraid, be very afraid. You see, if you have not yet experienced Jesus' saving power in your life, if you do not know what His loving forgiveness is, if you are not living in a daily living relationship with Jesus Christ, then your suffering will only really start in the next life and it will continue for all eternity. Yes, you may have experienced hard times while you've been on this earth and you may be experiencing hard times now, but they will pale into insignificance in comparison to the endless suffering you will experience without the Lord Jesus Christ in hell for all eternity. Be afraid. But Scripture doesn't end with that fear. It says, run to Christ today. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Don't delay. We do not know when He is coming again. All we know is He is coming soon. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verse 16. We should know it by heart. But how many of you have read a little bit down that passage? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Listen to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And here's the invitation. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe, listen to this, has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought or brought about in God. You have been warned, if you're not a believer today, you cannot stand before the Lord one day and say, I never knew you have heard today. But if you're a believer here today, you will be comforted by God himself. Look at our text. Your assurance, you see, is grounded in the character and the action of God Himself, Almighty God, not in yourself. Our text says that He is the one, the God of all grace. He is the God of all grace. He is the source and the giver of all undeserved favour shown to you. Have you ever experienced any favour in this life? It is the undeserved grace of God poured out on you. 
His grace in all its variety and its, in all its measure can and will meet your every need. There is nothing that can happen to you that the grace of God can't meet. There is nothing that's happened in your life that God has poured out on you that hasn't been His grace on display. No circumstance you can go through will not have enough grace for God to meet. His grace is all sufficient. Jesus said it like this, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. That means 100%. Nothing can be outside of that grace. For power is perfected in weakness. You see, when you are weak, He will be strong. The weaker you are, the stronger He is, the more grace is poured out on you. So take courage, says the Apostle this morning, to you and I. He is the one, this God that we are speaking about, that called you to His eternal glory in Christ, says our text. He is such a great example of God's grace in action. When we were still lost in our sin, when we couldn't make a decision for ourselves, we were dead in sin, He found us there, He pulled us out of that state, He breathed new life into us, He made us His own, and now He is making us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. That gospel call you heard for the first time, that time when you first understood what was being said spiritually, that was the work of God. That first time you surrendered and bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, that was showing God's control and His grace at work. You see, it was all His grace at work. His grace delivered you from your state of sin. His grace turned your face away from your sin and your state of sin in the world to the future. He called you, says our text, to His eternal glory as the new goal in your life. No longer is it you, yourself, me, myself and I. It is what is coming. His eternal glory. His grace didn't end there. You were made one with Christ. And that unity with Christ assures your glorious destiny as well. Have you thought about that? When you are in Christ, you are assured you will be in glory with Christ one day. Think about that thought. It will change your perspective on your everyday life. You will look at life in different, with different eyes. One day, you will be perfected in Christ. You will share in His eternal glory for how long? Forever. Your present day suffering is joined to that future glory and it gives us perspective when life's walls start crumbling in on us. I am going to live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look up when life starts to close in on you. He is here with you. And He will be with you forever. You see, He promises here, says the Apostle, that He Himself will he himself will intervene. I took such great courage, uh, encouragement when I saw that word. He himself will intervene. He will not send his angels. He will not send someone else. But God, the Almighty God himself, will intervene. And his personal presence will overwhelm you. Do you hear the, the perfect assurance coming from the Apostle Peter in this text? God himself, says our text, will perfect you. He will restore you. He will make you whole by arranging you properly as you should be. That's what the word means. He will perfect you. It's the same word used 
of the two fishermen, James and John, mending their nets in Mark chapter 1 verse 19. They were mending their nets. They were making them perfectly whole so that they could use them. Because a fisherman with a... Now be careful because nets are full of holes. But a, a fisherman with tears in the net is going to have the fish escape, isn't he? So a fisherman's only as good as how mended his net is. And it has to be perfectly fixed. Otherwise he's an inefficient fisherman. Same word used there. God will set right what is wrong in your life. And he will do that perfectly. You see, the Holy Spirit will repair the damage that sin and suffering have brought about in your life. And you might get upset by that and you might get discouraged when you look at your life and you see all the damage that is there from sin. The Holy Spirit will perfect you. He will make you fit for God's service. Not just on this earth, but into eternity. Because we will still be serving God there in heaven. God will perfectly complete. He will perfectly complete. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That which He has started, says Hebrews. In the end, you will be made perfect in Christ. Have you got the message yet? Are you encouraged? It's not finished. We've still got three terms to go. It's fantastic. There's more. He himself will confirm you. Look at this. Look at the depth of scriptures. You know, when we start going into scripture, it gets deeper and deeper and more and more. There's so many jewels here. He himself will confirm you. He will literally fix you in place. He will buttress you. He will put his support around you. You get that? You will stand up straight. Amid your sufferings, says the Apostle, right in the middle of them, God will give you the needed immovableness. I made up that word. He will give you the, the needed immovableness to stand through life's hardships. He will do it. He himself will do it. Why? Why will you stand and not be moved? Because you will be standing in Him. You will be standing in Christ. You will not topple over. You will not fall down. That's God's promise. And then he carries on. He says, He Himself will strengthen you. Literally, He will make you firm. It's not the same as what we've looked at. God will give you that added strength to go forward when you know you cannot go on anymore. Then God gives you the strength for the next thing. And the next one, until you are through that situation, He will make you firm. He will strengthen you. And why will He do that? So that you can resist this, the devil. So that you can resist Satan. So that you can hold your ground when you face that roaring lion in life. Your walls will not crumble. They will stand. He will strengthen you. And then says our text, He Himself will establish you. He will found you. There's an old word. He will found you. He will put you on a foundation of Himself. Rest on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when persecution and hard times come against you, you will not be swept away, says the Apostle. Why? Because you are in Christ and in the hand of Almighty God. So take courage. And when you go through those times in life, when you look around you and those waves are coming up over your head and they seem to be crashing in down on you, 
Tell your soul. Because your soul will want to know from you. Your mind will tell your soul, Soul, I am established in Christ. I stand in Christ. I'm confirmed in Him. He gives me the strength. He is making me perfect. And then take your courage from the Lord Himself and get through that situation with the Lord. And then, verse 11 the Apostle breaks out in spontaneous and heartfelt praise. And that's all one can do. When you've considered those truths, when you've considered what he's been teaching us in this letter, all we can do at this stage is put up our hands in the air and worship the Lord for who He is and for what He's done for us. These are glorious truths that we are considering. And that's why he can say in verse 12, This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You see, this is all head knowledge or it's applied to us. Which is it? Are you going to trust God? And you'll see on your sermon notes, I put that in there every Sunday. Will you trust God in this? Or is it just going to be something else that you've read and heard and, and it's kind of theory? We need to trust God in this. We need to stand firm in God's grace. You see, there is action required of us. And so I want to ask you a few questions this morning as we come to the end of this letter. Do you know, do you know in your heart the power of God's grace at work in you? How do you know the power of God's grace? Look back on your life. Do you see the hand of Almighty God in your life? If you don't, you need to come to the Lord today. And bow the knee to Him. And make sure that there aren't idols in your heart. Make sure that Christ is back in the center of your life. Do you know the power of God's grace at work in you? Are you living a power-filled life every day? Or do you just go through life and another day comes and another day goes? And you don't experience the power of God in what you're doing. Look again in your life. Something else has taken the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when He is at the center of your life, He will work in you and He will work through you. And you will see the results. Another question. Do you live a holy life of humble obedience to God? Take note of those words. Do you live a holy life, that is a life set apart to God only, a life of humble, who is... God, I am a man, God is God, a life of humble obedience to God. You see, if we live that type of life, it will be a life that shouts out to those around us that God is at work in and through us. We will become glowing billboards testifying to a great and a wonderful God before a world that is watching you and I. And they watch us like hawks. Is your life an advert for what God is doing in you? Are you living a holy life before Him? Do you live a life which is immersed fully in God? When those trials and hardships come, do you cast yourself on Him? Or do you find yourself trying to go through in your own strength? Are you constantly toppling over as soon as tests come against you? 
put Jesus back at the center of your life? Our text says, humble yourself. Go to verse 6. Humble yourselves again under God's mighty hand. Humble yourself, a mere mortal. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and cast all your worries, cast your anxieties, cast all your family issues, cast that constant pain that is with you, cast that all into the hands of Almighty God. And then entrust your soul to Him. Entrust your whole being to Him. Your dreams, your ambitions, your joys. Entrust your soul to Him. Experience the true grace of God and stand in it, says the Apostle to us. You see, this is where faith's rubber hits life's road. It's in our daily living. Do we live out these truths or are they just head knowledge to us? If we live obedient lives before God, if we trust our Almighty Father, we will experience His grace in action. And then He will give you the peace which comes to all who are in Christ. And that's where we end. He will give you that peace which surpasses all understanding and which will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace when the world will say to you, how come... You're still trusting God. Look what's happened in your life. How come you are so peaceful about things? You should be in panic mode. The world cannot understand this. It surpasses understanding. Not just their understanding, it will surpass your understanding too. Because you should be in panic mode. But you're not, because God has given you that peace. It is an imputed peace. It's put into you by Him. And you will stand strong. You will stand firm in His grace. I hope as we've gone through this book that you've really taken courage. I've really enjoyed First Peter. It's such a practical book. He spells out things to us and it's everything in there. Marriage, everything is in there. And we can look at these truths and build our lives and live holy lives before God. Take courage. And if you need to go back, download some of the sermons we've done before. Go and look at those passages again. When specific situations come up in your lives, go back, look at God's Word. And study it again. And ask yourself, am I applying these truths? And then go forward in the grace of God. Stand firm in God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we give you praise, honor and glory this morning. That you didn't just create us and then walk away from your creations. Like so many people believe today. But that you sent your only Son to take us out of our state of sin, to give us new life and to make a way back to you, Lord. And that He didn't just leave us at that, but that He constantly works in us and He will complete what He started in us when He gave us life. He will make us perfect in Christ. Thank You for the truths of Your Word. Thank You that we don't need to debate whether it is truth, but that we can just believe it and apply it in our lives. And Lord, as we go through our daily lives and we go through our human struggles, 
we pray, Lord, that your grace would abound to us. And that we would trust you. That we would trust you, Almighty God. That you are strong enough for any situation that we come up against. And that you know exactly what we are going through if we are believers. And that you are putting us through these situations to make us like your Son. And Lord, when we in our human frailty start feeling our knees giving in, and when we start feeling that things are getting too much, Lord, help us to grab hold of your mighty hand and to stand firm in your grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to live our lives this week as adverts for what you're doing in us. Lives which shout loudly that here lives someone with Jesus Christ living in us. May our lives glorify you, we pray. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to him be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.